You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged and together, step by step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves if we let them. For this episode, I spoke to John Vircher. John is a writer on race, identity, and social justice, currently living in the Philadelphia area with his wife and two sons. He holds a BA in English from the University of Pittsburgh and an MFA in creative writing from the Mountain View Master of Fine Arts program. His debut novel, Three Fifths, was shortlisted for the CWA John Creasy Award and was the Sunday Times, Guardian, and Financial Times Book of the Year. His new book, After the Lights Go Out, is out now and available in all good bookshops. When we spoke, John and I discussed what might have happened if he'd followed in his parents' footsteps and run his own restaurant instead of pursuing a career in physical therapy before he began writing. Along the way, we discussed how waiting tables increases empathy, the ethics of combat sports, and why restaurants are an excellent training ground for authors. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Thank you so much for joining me on My Unlived Life. Thank you for having me. Total pleasure. Um, and we are, I was just saying, I am really excited about your path. And I'm really interested to explore it. But we are talking in the first instance, obviously, because of the recent publication of your book, After the Lights Go Out. And I was just wondering, um, mainly because I, I feel like I don't have the words for it quite yet. I think because the ending just punched me. I don't want to say punched me in the gut. That's ridiculous. But it really, I really, it really has left, left me sort of lost for words. So it was so <laughs> intense. Um, so I was wondering if you would just say something about the book, please. I will. I won't give away the ending though. Just Do not. In case. Neither will I. <laughs> um, yeah. It's the story. So After the Lights Go Out is the story of Xavier Scarecrow Wallace. He's uh, a mixed martial arts fighter on the tail end of his career. And he has recently uh, come to the end of a year long suspension um, for reasons that will be revealed in the book. And uh, as he is preparing to make his comeback for maybe his final run as a fighter, he's also dealing with the effects of chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE, otherwise known as pugilistic dementia. Uh, as he's dealing with this, he is also dealing with his father's uh, sort of downward spiral in late stage Alzheimer's disease. And why this is relevant is also because Xavier is a biracial black man. His father is white. And as his filters are falling away from the Alzheimer's, he's revealing parts of his personality that give Xavier insight as to why his black mother left the family when he was young. So there's a lot going on. Um, so it's really a story about 
memory. It's a story about, uh, you know, loyalties that may be misplaced, identity, and then also the, the fight world as well. And that interweaving of sort of physical and emotional trauma, which I think you do so beautifully, is just really, really something special. And some of it is um, not autobiographical, but some of it is from experience, right? You were a fighter yourself for a little while or you fought yourself for a little while. Is that correct? So, yeah, as an amateur, I always I always make the disclaimer that I was kind of a tourist in that. And, uh, you know, I didn't I, I didn't have nearly at stake what the men and women who do this as, as either amateurs aspiring to be professionals or as professionals do. Um, you know, it was, it was a sport that I trained in for, for health reasons and enjoyment. And then just, it really, uh, became something that I enjoyed so much that I wanted to test myself in competition, but I, I wanted to bring some authenticity to the story because, um, there, there frankly aren't a lot of mixed martial arts novels out there. Um, and and it's, it's specifically ones that deal with um, sort of the uglier side of, of not just MMA, but combat sports and contact sports in general. Well, I'm really curious to see if any of those themes or what other themes come through as we explore your unlived life. So I want to get right into it. Um, so before you talk about what uh, which unlived path we're going to peruse, peruse, pursue, um, <laughs> Can you just say a little bit about where you were at that time, where or where we are in time, and what was going on for you right before your paths diverged? So, uh, yeah, so I grew up um, in the restaurant industry. My uh, my father is from Louisiana. Um, you know, uh, came from sort of a rich uh, cultural background. Went to an HBCU. Um, you know, and, and always had an, uh, affinity for cooking, even though that wasn't, um, originally the professional career path that he, uh, uh, pursued. But when he moved up North and he met my mother and they got together, they, they both shared sort of an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, and so when I was really very young, I'd say, I don't even know how to describe it. It's not necessarily, it wasn't necessarily a restaurant. It was almost more like an ice cream shop that had like started off with just like hot dogs and French fries and burgers and things like that. It was like a brick and mortar, uh, uh, building that they had, uh, rented out, um, and then eventually bought. But then as business picked up, because we were, we were kind of like the first little place like this in the community in which we lived. And so, uh, it got pretty popular pretty quickly. And, um, so my dad started, you know, bringing more food into the, to the mix and started bringing, uh, you know, food from our culture. You know, he was bringing in soul food. He was bringing in fried chicken and collard greens and black eyed peas and rice and macaroni and cheese and candied yam. I mean, just the whole thing. And it just mm -hmm. became hugely popular. Um, and you know, my dad was pretty much said, you're going to get that entrepreneurial spirit too. You're going to start working here. So <laughs> I was at around, uh, seven or eight years old, I was already, you know, uh, dropping fries in the grease, putting, doing ice cream and, you know, don't, uh, hopefully there's no labor laws that are going to get my dad in trouble now, but, <laughs> um, you know, helping out however I could safely. Uh, and I loved it. You know, I just, I felt like this big grown up kid that was doing all this stuff. I bet the customers loved you as well. They must've thought you were completely adorable. Oh, it, was, at the it was great. I mean, it, it, I think that was one of the great parts about it being, 
within the community that we lived in, you know, had we not had this business in the community, we're sort of, you know, just sort of adopted me as their own kind of, cause I was the kid helping out behind the counter. Um, so it grew. Um, we ended up getting a, they ended up getting a larger location and making it more of like a bar and grill kind of thing. They got a liquor license. They, you know, and really started to showcase the food that he cooked. And I, I was working there for a really long time. Um, until I could actually get like, until I got old enough to branch out and get jobs that I, you know, could legally, <laughs> legally have, uh, you know, working in gross, grocery stores, um, that kind of thing. But I found my way back to the restaurant industry um, when I was 16, I think, um, started at a TGI Fridays. Um, right. So not at your parents' restaurant, but you went and you worked at other restaurants. Yeah. My dad didn't pay me enough. I told him. So it was, <laughs> Said I had to go get some, go 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 someplace where I could make some real money. So yeah, I started at a at a TGI Fridays when that was like the height of TGI Fridays popularity. Like that was the place to work. That was the place to eat. What year um, are we in now? Man, you're gonna make me seem old. Uh, Not as old as me, I don't think. I want to say ninety seven, ninety six, somewhere in that time. Yeah, right around that time just feels yep. like the point when getting your sort of whatever it was, your milkshake or your banana split or whatever it was, the TGI <laughs> Fridays was sort of the thing you would do. Oh yeah. It was you know, and everybody had the they had the flare on their on our suspenders and we had the right the red striped shirts. Like, you know, it was the whole thing. The flare. Um, yes, the flare. <laughs> and I did that all through college. You know, I would on college on break I would come back and work holidays and after I graduated physical therapy school in 99, I came back to my hometown because I wasn't sure that I really wanted to do physical therapy. I wasn't really, I, it was not a great time to join the field. You know, insurance had become, uh, had made it much more difficult to, to get reimbursed for treatment. And it was just a whole thing. Was that, so, that was just that moment when the insurance companies started to get a lot more hard lined about what they yeah. were reimbursing for? It was, and it was like really the, the, the advent of the HMO boom, um, which, you know, that, that significantly decreased reimbursements across the board, which meant salaries were going down, which meant it was harder for patients to get quality care. I mean, it was, it was just a whole thing. So I fell back into what I knew best, which was going back to waiting tables. And, uh, then I, uh, went to Outback and was working there. For our British listeners, we should say what Outback is. Oh yeah, yeah. So Outback is a quote unquote Australian theme steakhouse. It's not really I mean, I don't think there's one thing Australian about it other than like they name some of their dishes after, you know, landmarks in Australia. That's about that's about as far as that goes. And I got pretty deeply involved in that too. Like I ended up uh becoming sort of like an assistant manager while I was still waiting tables and um and so we're getting closer now to the where paths diverged. Um, you know, got to know the, the owner operator of that one pretty well and started to have like some serious conversations about, you know, do I take a next step with this kind of thing? Do I, do I end up being a general manager at some place? Do I end up opening one? So this is your moment and your moment is essentially, you can see this life for yourself where you're essentially following in your parents' footsteps. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, you become a general manager, you own an outback and then presumably we don't know yet, but. So that, and that in principle looked appealing to a certain extent because it was something familiar. Yeah. And, and it was something I felt like I was good at. Um, yeah. And 
I enjoyed it. We've spoken previously about how now that I'm on my other path, you know, my uh, because I ended up meeting my wife in this uh, setting, we often look back on that time with a lot of nostalgia and fondness because it was fun. I mean, we, you know, we'd go in at a, at a certain, you know, we didn't have to be at work until three or four o'clock. We'd, we'd run really hard for six to seven hours, walk out of there with a lot of money in our pocket. And, and uh, you know, it was one of those things where it felt like as much effort as you put in was, was what you took home. If you worked hard and you, and you ran your ass off, you, you made some good money. And which I imagine, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if ever you could, could think of something that doesn't, I mean, it, or what do I want to say? There is no such direct sort of action consequence in the world of writing, obviously, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you work really hard and you get something out of it and other times you work really hard and nothing happens at all. And it's just, you know, so we'll hear more about what's happened in your real life as we go on. But the the sort of short story is that you did PT, you did physical therapy for a while. Mm -hmm. And then how did you end up writing? I just want to know that before we get started. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a weird uh, divergence. So uh, I did the PT. Um, you know, my, my wife was an occupational therapist. So we ended up entering our professions around the same time. And, uh, you know, I liked it for a while. I, I, I tried to be, um, the best PT I could. I, I did a lot of education with it and, and, um, you know, really worked hard at it, but I just, it didn't take long for me to realize it still wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Mm. Um, and I had, I had gone to school, my, my undergraduate degree was in English. Um, and I had always had a love for screenwriting and writing and, um, but, never saw that there was a path for that for me, you know, it just, that felt unreachable. Um, so, uh, but as I got older, I realized that the, the healthcare lifestyle was not the life I wanted to lead, um, for, for a, a number of reasons. So, uh, my wife was actually really encouraging. She said, this is not what you're meant to do. Um, you know, find ways, let's, let's work together to find ways to, to see how you can, do what you want to do. Um, and we ended up finding, um, a low residency MFA program. Yep. So, and, and, you know, this is the part where I say you don't need an MFA to become a writer. It was just what I needed at the time. Um, because I had been away from writing for so long, uh, 10 years. Uh, and that was exactly what I needed. I, you know, I got immersed in the writing culture again, um, you know, kind of relearned all the things that I had forgotten about craft and mechanics and um, uh, wrote a thesis that ended up becoming my debut novel. And that's, uh, yeah, things took a big turn from that. That's really good. So that we can have in the back of our minds while we go back. <laughs> We're going to go back to this moment when you are... Um, let's say, you know, having this conversation or having these conversations about what it would look like if you kind of kept going with Outback um, and decided you were going to kind of go for it in restaurant land. So then let's say at some point it's your wife buckles down and goes occupational therapy. You go, do you know what? I just can't do this anymore. And I really love restaurants. Yeah. So I'm going to what? What do you think you do first? You, wait, you keep <sighs> waiting tables for a while or you go straight into trying to find your own place? I think I'd probably still keep waiting tables. There, there was still something about that energy that I that I really enjoyed. Um, I liked the interaction with people. I liked that 
each table was kind of a puzzle to figure out, you know, from, mm. from the outset, which is maybe why I liked physical therapy too, because every patient was sort of this puzzle to, to try and get to the heart of what was their issue. I mean, with a table, you got to, you know, from, from the greeting, you have to figure out, okay, what, what is, how am I going to anticipate their needs? You know, what, what are their needs going to be? How do I, how do I best serve this table? Are they going to want a lot of attention? Are they going to want me to leave them alone? You know, am I, am I sort of invisible, but just, you know, their drinks are always filled, their plates are always cleared, or do they want like conversation and jokes? And so it's, it's always, that's a lot of fun figuring that out. I think, um, sort of U.S. tip culture gets quite a bad rap in the U.K. because people don't understand why you, they don't like it because they're, they're not sort of used to it over here to tipping. But I, I waited tables all through university as well, and I love it because it does. It sort of motivates you to do exactly that. I mean, what an amazing um, training ground for writing as well to sort of have to oh, think that deeply about people's needs. Absolutely. I always say I think everybody should spend at least a year waiting tables, like everyone. Yes. Yes, um, yes, 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 yes. It, it's it's an absolute necessity. I I think um, I'm, I'm obviously biased because I spent so much time there, but I feel that that has served me in every job I've had since. Um, I so also yeah, think it I, just makes you a nicer person, don't you think? I, for the most part, I mean, you, you're, <laughs> you've you've waited tables. Some customers can be very demanding, and they will not be happy no matter what you do. Um, but uh, but yes, I do think that if you approach it in the right way, it does, it, I think it fosters empathy. I think it, uh, I, yeah, I can't say enough about it, honestly. Yeah. Fosters empathy is, is that's a good way of saying it. I think that's right. I just feel like you sort of, it makes it much easier for you to understand people at all sort of stations and all sort of walks of life. 100%. Um, okay. You finished your degree, so you're 22 or something like this. 23. Yep. 23, and it's the early 2000s? Early 2000s, yes. Okay. In your unlived life, how long do you wait tables until you decide you need to move forward in restaurant land? Well, so it was, yeah, I mean, it probably not long. I, I think that, you know, the, the situation at Outback was that I, I was pretty good at that, um, pretty good at the waiting tables aspect, so I was asked to move up, you know, into other things. And, um, and I do enjoy the, the sort of, um, the, the, the leadership role of, um, helping run the floor. Like, so that was my position at Outback. There were, they, you had a position called a key, which you were, you know, you were a server, but you were somebody who also helped as like an assistant manager to run the front of the house. Um, and I, and I, I enjoyed that because I had had the perspective of being a server. So, you know, there was that whole idea of when it was, when things were slowing down enough to cut the first wave of servers, you know, there are some servers that just want to get in and get out and go, you know, but if you don't have that sense of when you can do that without making the rest of the restaurant fall to pieces, yeah. um, you can either hold people too long or cut them too soon. So um, I really enjoyed just trying to sense that moment, you know, and, and sending people when it was the right time, because then they were like, you know, you could do no wrong if you send people at the right time. Because <laughs> the people that were there to close that really wanted to make the money, like by staying all night, were like, good, get them out of here, because that means I get more tables. Mm. So finding that balance, 
you know, um, taking care of tables that were having problems, you know, going up to the regulars at the bar and like comping an appetizer for them. Like all of that stuff was just, you know, there, there was a, there were a lot of spinning plates, but it was fun to keep them spinning. Do they promote you farther or do you decide you need to take your management genius out on your own? Yeah. I mean, we're going to keep you in restaurant land for a little while here. You might not stay there. We're going to keep you there. Yeah. I I would say it at, 23, I was feeling pretty bold and full of myself. So I would say, yeah, I'd probably say, okay, how do I, how do I swing this? I, you know, I, I'd, I'd, uh, you know, there's, there's always those small business association loans to kind of get you on your feet if you, if you can get it. And, um, I'm going to imagine that I could in this, in this aspect, but I, I would, you know, what, what I loved about what my dad did was, or my parents did was opening within the community, which in we lived within we, within which we lived, I, you know, in, instead of taking it somewhere, um, that seemed advantageous for a franchise to be, to me, I would, if I was going to do it, I would, I would do it where, where I lived, you know, with the people that I knew or the people that I didn't know yet, but would like to get to know and bring some of that, some of the flavor that he brought the, some of that food, um, to that location. Well, okay, so um, let's get some details going. So you apply for a loan from the Small Business Association, <laughs> and what's and you want to be in the community. So are you still in Pittsburgh? So, I, but I don't know if that's where I'd stay. I don't know. That's a good question. Part of it is to where's your wife working? So out in the Philadelphia area. So okay. I'd have to I'd have to go where she went. So yeah, it, it would be it'd be where we are now, which is just outside of Philadelphia. Okay. So yeah, I could see doing that. All right. What's it like? Well, what do you, so you have to do some stuff first. You need to find a little, little location. Yeah. I'm saying little, I mean, I'm assuming it's little to start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how my folks did it. I mean, it was the, the square footage on the place was, was not much at all. You know, there was enough, enough room for people to sit at a counter kind of diner style and, and sort of a back area with a few tables. And yeah, I, I've got to, I'd, I'd have to say if I was going to do it, I would almost do it exactly the way my folks did it. I, I think I would recreate that. It would almost be a, a continuation of, of what they did. At that time when you were in your early 20s, was their restaurant still up and running? No, no, they had ah. sold it at that point. Okay, yeah. all right. Okay, so it is quite a nice continuation then. Yeah, yeah. All right. So where it's, so it's, it's, can we picture it a little bit? Like, what does it look like? It looks exactly like their thing. Is it, is it within a sort of residential neighborhood? Is it near the city? Yeah. So the, it was, it was in the city. So we have, you know, like big, uh, plate glass windows around the, the, around the front. It's sort of situated on a corner, which I can still see that I can still see the, the neon beer signs, you know, the Miller lights and the Budweiser's and all that stuff. Um, like I said, long counter in the front with stools. Um, and then uh, behind those, there were like a couple of tables, small little two tops. And then behind the counter uh, is where the, the food, the fryers, the grill, the beer cooler, all that's there. And then behind that is a, is a room of maybe, eh, I'd say eight to ten, four tops um, where people can uh, sit and order food. I love the idea of recreating that floor plan. Like it just, there's just something about that, that, you know, it's, it's cause it's, it feels like it's something I could immediately fall into that rhythm and know, know where everything is and, and the, you know, the flow of how people come in and leave and yeah. What's it called? 
That's a great question. I'd probably do what my parents did. I would just name it after our, our last name. It was just Virtures. That great. was the name of the place. I love it. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right. So you've got Virtures and you're starting it on your own and you, mainly with a loan. You need a team. Who's your team? Oh, I definitely would recruit all the people that I that I came up with in the in the business. Yeah. Okay. I'd, I'd have a bunch of people mad at me, a bunch of managers mad at me because I'd be... I'd be calling people left and right from, you know, the, the, the old crew, bring them back together, but bring them, you know, there's, there's nothing like working for yourself kind of thing. Um, so, but, but, you know, knowing what I know now about restaurant business and, and just business in general, this, the, the thing that I would do to bring them in and, and also entice them is it's, uh, you know, they'd be, they'd all be sort of partial owners in the business. Ah, like that's, that's one of those things that I think I would change is that, um, you know, the, the business, because I think when you, when you have ownership in, in something that you're a part of, you know, you tend to work that much harder, you know, you, you tend to care that much more about, uh, what you're doing. You're less hesitant to, you know, call out if you just don't feel like going in or, you know, which we all did as servers. There's no way we didn't, you know, we all did that. Um, but I also just think it's the right thing to do. You know, it's the, the, the restaurant doesn't run without the front of the house or the back of the house. So if you've got a stake in it, um, then it's, it's that much more important to you. That feels great. That's wonderful. Okay. Well then you definitely lured away some, some top people with that oh, offer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So all of the Philly restaurant owners are mad at you cause you've stolen all their stuff <laughs> and you start it up and, um, you open up. How do you do to start off? Like, are, are people coming? Is it hard to get people in? It's a tough business, as we know. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being realistic, it's probably not probably not the easiest first few days. It's uh, although I'd, I'd like to think that if I'm if I'm repeating the recipes that my dad had, that people are going to be curious because there's just not a lot of that in the the area of uh, the area of Pennsylvania that we live. Okay. So it's, I think it would be unique. I think people would at least be curious, but, um, you know, because I'm 23 and I think I know everything, I don't think, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of things are going to go wrong that first night, first week, first month. Um, cause it never runs as smoothly as you expect. No, it never does. Um, okay. And then what happens? Do you kind of straighten out and kind of catch your stride or is it tough going for a little while? I think if I'm being realistic, it's probably tough going for a little while. I mean, the, one of the one of the, the reasons that I think my parents sold in the first place is because it is it's these aren't eight hour days. You know, these are these are sixteen hours if you're lucky. Um, you know, it's uh, you got to make decisions about when are the right when's the right time to open. Uh, do you only open for dinner? Do you do you include a lunch crowd? Um, you know, is your staff working out? You know, did you hire the right people? Um, you know, are they, are they doing what you hoped? Um, you know, are you the, the right, are you the kind of manager or owner that you want to be, uh, you know, am I, am I doing the things that I want to do? So I think all of those things come into play. I think there's a, there's a huge learning curve. Um, even if you've been, uh, in the business, you've not been in the business running it yourself. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, I'm curious as to how your wife is dealing with the fact that you're gone for really super duper long days. 
Probably not great. Um, we don't we don't do we're we're kind of that sappy couple that doesn't like to be apart for very long. So oh. uh, I think it's uh, it's tough. But uh, you know, it, it may she may end up doing the same thing my mother did when my dad was running the business that she she worked her day job and then she came at night to help out at the restaurant, which again, long days, you know, for both of them. So um, it's, uh, that can be challenging, but you know, my, my hope is the, 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 the plan is that the restaurant becomes so successful that the other job isn't necessary and that we run it together. And that would be, um, that would be ideal. Let's see if we can get you there. All right. So you guys are, you're already married at this point and you're, it's a bit tough. So what do you think? I mean, is that what happens? Does she work her super intense occupational therapy job at, all day and then come and help you out in the evening? Yeah, because the, and, and I think, um, she ends up having more fun in the evenings than she does at the day job because it's, you know, that, that healthcare grind does, does get to you. Um, and she realizes a little bit of that nostalgia, uh, is real. You know, she enjoys the the hustle, um, and the, the restaurant's starting to pick up, things are starting to smooth out. You know, we start to, and especially with her presence there because she's, uh, she's, you know, even, Today in our household, she's the numbers woman. I'm the I'm the I'm good with the words. She's good with the numbers. So, <laughs> uh, you know, bringing her in smooths out some of the rough spots in terms of um, running finances, running running shifts, making sure the schedule's on point. Um, Where are you guys living? Are you renting somewhere? Have you bought somewhere? Are you kind of firmly embedded where you are? Yeah, because we want to be, we want it to be a restaurant that's part of the community. You know, yeah. it's, it's, we want it to be, we want to, uh, we want to know what's around, what's in the area, what's happening in the area, um, be part of events in the area if we can. Do you need to get bigger? Yeah, the, the expansion might have to happen at some point, but there, there may, there's a, there's a part of me that would maybe resist that. I don't know. There's, there was something, um, there was something about the size that felt more intimate, um, you know, that, uh, and, you know, there's always that thing about a little bit of exclusivity, right? It's interesting now, think, looking back at that, we never, we, we were always, my parents' place was always crowded, um, and a, you, but, a, but a wait list was never really even an option. It was just, <laughs> you know, if you didn't, if you couldn't get a table, you just stood and kind of hung out. I mean, it was really that kind of place, like, People would come just to have beer and sit at the counter, or they or, and would wait until the table had opened up. It sounds like right. your parents made it possible; they made it work. At this point, let's say, where are we now? So you're sort of mid twenties, right? Does that feel about right? Mm-hmm. Doing this for mm-hmm. a few. In real life, how long did you stay with physical therapy before you? Oh no, it was ten years. Oh yeah, I was. I did it for a long time. So you're still going? Yeah, wow. yeah. I was. I didn't stop. Uh, yeah, I was I was in my early 30s when I went back for the MFA. So we're still kind of coasting on that path where you haven't quite become a writer yet. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So what happens next with the restaurant? Do you think? I imagine it goes like this for a few years because it yeah. just seems okay. Well, what's interesting, I think, and maybe this maybe this is the perfect segue. I don't know. Like, I think I I feel like I know myself well enough or have enough hindsight from what happened with physical therapy that I think the exact same thing would happen here. Oh, you know, I think that, um, 
while I, while I love the, the hustle of the restaurant, I love the noise. I love the, I love the problem solving. I love all of those things. There's still that creative side of me that would still need, like I'd feel that need. Um, you know, it was, it became apparent during the, the healthcare years because, you know, we'd be sitting watching television or I'd read this book and, you know, I talk about how, oh man, I would have done that differently or how, or what elements of these things I did love and just realizing like how excited I got about that stuff Mm. um, was what made me realize that like, I wasn't getting that excitement in my daily, you know, in my work life. Um, It wasn't even close. Like they just didn't even touch each other. Um, You know, and you could make the argument that you get creative and cooking and things like that, but there was something about storytelling that always had a pull on me. Well, let's figure it out. Let's see. So you're, you're, you're doing the thing and are you, you're not doing the cooking, right? You're, uh, or are you? Yeah, no, I'm probably a little bit in there too. Uh, in the kitchen too. Ad- admittedly a little bit of a control freak. So I'd probably, probably need to have at least some, some, my hands on some things there. You know, I could see myself being, um, possessive of my dad's recipes and making sure that things were, things were done the right way. So I'm probably trying to manage a little too much, um, in, you know, front of house, back of house, all that kind of stuff. I can see that the the grind is probably starting to get to me a little bit, especially as I get older. At any point, do you, at any point, do you, we will, I, we, I promise we're going to get you back to writing, but at any point do you, All right. Writers always end up back writing, even no matter where I take them. You always come back to writing. None of you want to be not writers. (laughs) Um, um, Oh, I was just, do you ever branch out from your dad's recipes at all? Or is it, is it like strictly? That's a good question. I think probably just because it's, there's an element of that creative side, you know, that, that, wants to try new things and, and wants to see if I can swing it. And yeah, I'd, I'd want to try new things and I'd, and I'd like to be open to if our, if our kitchen back of house manager, staff person wants to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think we, I think we definitely try new things. Anything in particular? I think it would still have to fall in the elements of soul food. Like it would still have to be, there's a, there's a theme there that I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want us to start doing any kind of fusion stuff, you know, things like that. It just, that's while that stuff is great, it (laughs) it would not, it would not be, it would, it wouldn't have any place here. It's not Virtures. Virtures does. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, if you're going to put your name on the place, it's got to have, it's got to maintain the theme, I think. Totally. Okay. So more soul food. Um, I'm interested in, a little bit more, and if you don't mind talking about just what your mom and dad's dynamic was like in the restaurant, if it was sort of, because um, it just it just sounds like such an amazing partnership, and it must have been something, growing up, it must have been something kind of amazing to watch. I mean, it made us all, at, at the time, pretty close, I think, because we were all, you know, we, for better and for worse, I think our lives kind of revolved around it, you know? I mean, it was, we were we were always there to some aspect. Were you an only um, child or are yes. you an only child? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so the I have a half brother from a, 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 my mom's previous marriage, but um, gotcha. yeah, but, but for all intents and purposes, yeah, I was an only child. Um, 
Yeah, you know, and it was there were a lot of times there I got to spend a lot of time with my dad in those in those years like we got to you know, I used to help go with him on supply runs and you know, go to the go to the wholesaler to pick up meats and produce and stuff like that. So I you know, I learned not only did I learn a lot about uh business then, but we you know, we had a lot of sort of life talks then, you know, because growing up as a mixed race kid, it was there were a lot of things that he was preparing me for in life. And a lot of those, a lot of those conversations happened on those car rides, you know, back and forth from the restaurant to the, to the wholesaler. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool time. Wow. You write, obviously, and as you mentioned, the start, your main character and after the lights go out is also mixed race and you can Mm -hmm. see how much of yourself you put into that. What were, were there any of those lessons that you particularly remembered or those things that you guys talked about that really helped? Uh, I mean, God, so many, I'm sure. Yeah. And all of it, all of it was at a very young age, which I, you know, in retrospect, really appreciate because, um, I got a lot of questions at a young age about like, you know, that very prototypical question you get when you're mixed race is like, well, what are you anyway? Mm. And it's like, you know, you don't, you don't want to ask that of a kid, you know, but, but, you know, people felt entitled and they did it all the time. Um, and, you know, thankfully my dad prepared me for stuff like that. So, um, we had a lot of frank discussions about what it meant to grow up as a, as a biracial black man in America and what it was like for him growing up as a black man in the deep South, you know, when he did. So, um, you know, I, I learned a lot and, um, it was interesting how much of that, you know, even just talking about it now, how much I think about how, how much of that took place in these car rides, you know, back and forth, um, doing stuff for the restaurant. It was, it was, uh, it's like, it's like a whole, it's like Tuesdays with Maury kind of thing. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It is. It's an amazing setting an incredible Mm. backdrop for you guys. Yeah. Mm. And then your mom. She was in it from the start, but she was just working double duty. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Like my dad, um, was, was there all the time. And she would come after work. Yeah. And it was, it was hard. I mean, that was a big reason why they sold it. It was just, it just got to be too much, but, um, but yeah, no, she's, she's a, she was a nursing administrator. Um, and she would do that full-time job, come home, get changed, come to, come to the restaurant. Um, Mm. yeah, it was, it was, and they did it for a lot longer than I would, you would imagine people would be capable of doing that. Okay. All right. So You've introduced some new things on the menu. It's been running along for a while. You're starting to feel like maybe this isn't quite scratching the creative itch that you need it to. Mm-hmm. You are you are probably exhausted is the mm-hmm. only thing. So it sounds like with the PT, maybe you had a little bit more time to think about being bored, but you are super <laughs> tired. <laughs> So it's the only difference I think that we need to just know. Do you actually have the energy to think about other creative pursuits? Oh no. no. Okay. Yeah, I mean that the the I guess the downside to all of that chaos and and problem solving is that it does. It takes a ton of mental mental energy. I mean, it's uh you know, you you would uh I mean, you didn't like I, I at least at the pace that we were going um, waiting tables. It was like, you didn't even need to exercise. Like, I mean, you were just constantly on your feet in hot environments, you know, carrying heavy trays, doing all that stuff. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's mental and physical exhaustion. 
So uh, that that grind wears on you after a while, and and when you when you're done, you know, I mean, the if you do as as you know, having been in the restaurant industry, usually what happens is when you're done, you go across the street to the bar and you drink and yep. spend all spend all your tip money because you just don't. There's, that's the last thing you want to do is think about anything else. Uh, then you certainly don't want to be in a creative mode. Um, so yeah, I think that starts to starts to wear down at some point. How are your staff doing? Are they enjoying it? Oh yeah, yeah. They're happy. I, I, yep, I think it's I think it's a fun environment. It's uh, at least that's what I would try to create. And if it wasn't that way, I'd try to fix it. Um, it should shouldn't as much as it should feel like work. It shouldn't feel like uh, work you don't enjoy. Um, so yeah, I think everybody's happy. I think it's just wearing on the owners at this point. Okay. Yep. So it's been going for a while. It's doing well. There's nothing sort of wrong on the surface. You're just shattered. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What do you do? Start having that conversation about um, sort of, I, I think I would approach it the same way my manager approached me at Outback. I, there, there's find that one within the, the crew that has aspirations beyond um, what they're doing, but wants to continue in the industry, maybe really enjoys the place, maybe is taken that partial ownership to another level, um, you know, uh, vo- you know, taking their time to learn the finances, learn, learn all the ins and outs and maybe, maybe start fostering that conversation about would you be interested in taking over? You know? Okay. So who's the person who is, who is this young protege? Uh, it's just another server that was just like me, I think, you know, uh, or, or someone from the back of the house. I think it's, it's got, it could be either way. It's, it doesn't have to be front of the house that understands that because the back of the house is a whole nother. I mean, I, I, I still am in awe of, you know, cooking multiple things at once tickets coming in, you know, knowing what time it is to pull that off, what time it is to put that steak on. I mean, that stuff still blows my mind. Okay. So you find a, a young protege, a young somebody or other, and they're mm-hmm. going to, they're going to step up and take over the ropes. But, you know, my wife and I start phasing ourselves out, decreasing our hours, handing over more and more responsibility to the, to this person. And, um, until the, till we get to the point where we can sort of cash out, you know, by that point, uh, my wife could, do whatever it is she wanted to do. What do you think she does? We don't want to make decisions for her, but what do you think she does? Because we've we we've talked about it before. When like our kids are kids are old enough uh, to be out and doing their own thing, like it, like picking up a couple shifts here and there, just to, you know, see if we still got it. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. Is it? What is it? I mean, you've you've sort of said it, but is it is it just that that just the adrenaline rush and the being around lots of different people and reading the room and all of that stuff. I, I think talking about it more with you, there really is something about the reading the room that is um, it's, it's an interesting challenge. Um, it's fun. And to your point, I do feel like it informs writing a lot. Uh, you know, I, I feel like for me, it's given me a huge handle on dialogue. Um, it's given me a huge handle on body language, um, you know, using, you know, the whole show don't tell, like, you, you know, you pick up so much more from, from body language than you do from the word spoken, um, and being, and finding different ways to describe that body language. I mean, there's just, 
there's there's something and and I think the thing that I really enjoyed was when I got a difficult table turning that table by the end of the meal to where they were like this was amazing you know like like you know they came in knowing they, they like there was no way this server was going to you know this they they were coming out knowing that their experience was going to be terrible they were just prepared to have a bad night like you you've you've had that table you know you know mm. what it's like yeah 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 but, absolutely but the challenge is turning them and it, and you know it's what's the I, secret how do you turn the table i, I it, to me it was always just sort of meeting them where they live right like and not 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 feeding into the expectation that things were going to go badly and not reacting to anything they said that might that was looking for a reaction right you know like the that any negativity would just be countered by Nope. I got you. That's fine. Nope. I totally understand. You know, like, nope, that food came out wrong. I'm going to take care of it. Like the, it was always sort of about being on their side as opposed to being counter to them. You know, like, like if their food was messed up, I was pissed off with them. You know, mm. it was not like, it was not like, Oh, you're being demanding and Oh, you, it, it's fine. It's like, no, you're right. That's, that's messed up. Let's take care of that. You know? Let me get my manager out. Let me see if we can take care of something. Let's see if we can get you dessert. You know, that, all that kind of stuff. Like, this feels like, the, like a metaphor for larger diplomatic relations. Do you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, and it goes, I mean, it goes back to what we were saying that everybody should really do this because it's such amazing training and mm -hmm. empathy, as you yeah, said. Absolutely. But it's, you know, imagine if we all met everyone where they were, you know, things would be a lot simpler, wouldn't they? Sigh. Yeah. Yeah, just a little bit more pleasant. What are you guys thinking about kids in your unlived life? Probably the same way we did it as as in the live life. We weren't we were pretty opposed to having kids when we first met. Like neither of us were were ever thinking we'd have kids and then it just sort of changed, you know, like I, I it's hard to explain. <laughs> but uh thankfully it changed for both of us at the same time. Um but um but we you know, we just didn't we we felt like it wouldn't have been fair to have kids to the kids at the time when people are often telling you, you should have kids. Mm. So um, yeah, I mean, we, we put it off until it was something we felt like one we wanted and two we were ready for. And I, I think that would have been the same case had we gone this path. Cause it's, you know uh, I, I, I don't, I think if I hadn't, if I had been a kid that hadn't been willing to go to, to work with my parents and, do those things, it would have been, I don't know if they could have done it, you know, cause I, they would have, we either had to have had babysitters all the time or, you know, I, I don't know what else they would have done. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I think it would have been very difficult. Although it sounds a bit like they'd sort of, it was quite clear that that's what you were going to do like oh, in yeah. a positive way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It doesn't sound like you had a choice. And, but and when I you're that little, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have changed it because, again, it prepared me for so many other things. Yeah. Okay, so you've you've had your, your jaunt in restaurant life. You've wound it down. You guys have some cash because you've sold it. Mm -hmm. Did you sell the whole thing or did you keep a share? Or... Yeah, I think sell it all. Sell it all? It's done. Yeah. It's gone. All right. Yeah. That was fun. Um, okay, what do you do now? Your wife's taking some shifts at the restaurant because she likes it. Yeah, I'm... I am sort of in the same spot that I was mentally with, uh, the, um, the creative life 
in in PT in that I'm uh, I've been away from I I, I know I want to do it now. You know, I know that I want to pursue that life, but I've been away from it for so long that I don't know. I don't even know where to start. Mm. You know, I don't know anything about publishing. I don't, I've never even tried to write a novel. Like, um, I, I don't know. Um, and so I, you know, I think my wife does the same thing that she did for me in my real life, which was you need to let's, let's explore, let's research what's out there. Um, and I think we end up finding the low residency program the same way we did because mm. I don't I, I think even given the opportunity I'm not sure that I would have done the full residency um, but I I can only say that having been in a low residency that worked out perfectly for me because I was still working at the time um, it's so good if you're working isn't it because oh, I mean, it's amazing it's, you do the whole thing virtually and then you you pop in for a couple of weeks is that right every yep. semester yeah it was uh, just one week like uh, 10 days um yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the format so much. I'm now, I'm actually teaching in uh, two. So I, I really enjoy it. Um, oh, cool. So, and, and I, yeah, I think there's something about that like intensive immersion for so many days and then go back and kind of download all that as opposed to it just sort of constantly on site. I mean, you're not, let's just make sure though, cause you're not working. Yeah. At least not in the same way. Once you leave the res, once you leave the restaurant. You've got some cash and you're also just to reiterate, super tired. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is another reason I don't like it. Yeah. I'm not ready to go back to school full time. I okay. Need, you know, I need something that, that I can sort of do on my own time. And you've had, but you've had a very different past 10 years. Do you write the same book? Oh yeah, absolutely. You do. Yeah. Because, um, the first book had, a lot of restaurant industry stuff in it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the, the, the main setting, um, was, a was a stand in for, uh, the restaurant that I worked in in Pittsburgh for uh, so many years. So it's, um, because there, there are, uh, so many racial dynamics in the restaurant industry. It's, it's crazy. Um, and so it really was a, a perfect backdrop for the dynamics that were taking place in the book. What are the, I mean, what are the racial dynamics that are? Oh taking my God! Place in I mean, the, the the stereo. The well, I I mean, the top one is the the stereotype that black folks don't tip, you know, and dealing with white servers who were who were saying that like in front of me, and I'm like, are are you out of your mind? Like, what, you know, like I couldn't tell you how many arguments and and fights I got in with people who were supposedly friends that would you know still hold this belief. And it's like, I, how, how, like, how can you do, you know? So that not only that dynamic that they perceive of customers, which I'm like, you know, I, I, my, my rebuttal to all that always was like, well, you don't think that that comes across when you go to a table that you think you're not going to get anything out of it. So mm. you're not going to put your best foot forward. You're not going to give them everything that they deserve, just like any of your other tables. Um, which, at which know, point always, I, at which point no. you then don't get tipped because you've been a lousy waiter. It is completely self-perpetuating. Exactly. It's like, so, um, so there's that dynamic just from server to customer. And then the dynamic within the industry, like, you know, I was one of very few black servers on the floor, um, in, mm. in both places. Um, and you, and you, it's, uh, so that dynamic is interesting. Um, you know, a lot of times the back of the house is where you tend to see more diversity of, of culture, um, and race. 
So that there's that dynamic. I mean, there's a, there's a lot floating around in the restaurant industry. And so, um, yeah, I absolutely would have written the same, same first book. Same first book. And it does the same. It's received the same. God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be great because <laughs> otherwise this <laughs> this other path doesn't happen. So, yeah. So I always like the moment when the paths join up. It's quite a nice moment. It's sort yeah. of like they're just kind of coming back together. How about I'm just thinking, so the, actually the main difference here is that your, your, funnily, your wife's career has changed more dramatically than, than yours has. Yeah. She's yeah. doing less occupational therapy and more restaurant stuff. What's she up to? Let's talk about her for a second. Well, she, I, I mean, I would say she's, she's, she's sort of, you know, working on her path for unlived life now too. She's, she's always loved real estate and has been, uh, doing that, uh, started off, you know, she, she actually, the minute she got her license, she was pretty successful right away and she's just becoming more so, um, to the point where that may become her branch and her path. Um, so I, I would say probably the same thing. She's, we're, we're both really ambitious. Like that's just always been our way. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, you know, we, we both have this sort of idealized later life that we say, you know, we're only doing the things we want to do because we want to do them. Um, you know, that we, that we get ourselves to, that we're smart enough financially that we get ourselves to a place where we can do that. So you guys are in your early thirties, you've decided to do your Lara's MFA and you've done your first book we're going to say that she's started retraining for real estate and is doing great because she's awesome clearly mm -hmm. and, and a financial whiz. Mm -hmm. Does that change your financial situation sooner? Probably. Yeah, I would think so. Um, okay. Yeah. That's a short answer on that one. Yeah. I think. All right. Yeah. You've got more yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that, that's, that's always nice. It is nice. Um, and at this point, presumably, you start thinking about kids? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that all kind of goes roughly the same. You said maybe you guys will end up back on the floor again. Do you think that you'll end up waiting tables as well at some point? In your, I, let's, let's start in your unlived life. Do you think do you still pick up? Because you've got that. It's, it's even more baked in now. I guess that's the only other thing is that sort of restaurant existence is like even more baked in. Yeah, I, I do think so. I mean, I still think it might happen in, in the live life. I think it's... I, I, you know, I, there's always, nostalgia is always dangerous, right? Cause you know, you, you tend to, you, you, uh, filter out the, the stuff that was hard. Like the, just the, the long hours and the having to push through and all, all yeah, of that. And, and the tough customers and the, and the, the, the not so great managers and the great managers and the, you know, I mean, there's, there's none of, none of this is ever perfect. Um, but again, I just, I, f I feel like it was so preparatory when it came to anything else. I mean, it just felt like, like any, any job I ever had, I, I like time management was never an issue for me and, and, mm. um, anticipating problems was never an issue for me. Um, because you know, the, the, the more you anticipated on the floor, the easier your night was, you know, you didn't, you, you weren't, somebody didn't put you in the weed for asking, asking, put you in the weeds by asking for a refill for drinks. Cause you had already refilled them. Right. Mm. You know, like that kind of thing, you know, you didn't, you didn't get behind on clearing plates cause you were doing it every time you walked past and saw empty ones. Like it's just that kind of, that kind of anticipatory thinking filters into so many other things. 
So yeah, I, I, I would do it in the unlived life. I would do it in, I, I still think I might do it in the live life. I mean, my wife and I always say like, you know, we always feel like if the bottom were to drop out on both of our careers, we could always go back to waiting tables. Mm. Like it's, it's, um, we would find a way to make that work. Which is such an, it's an interesting thing to think about because you do, there's a stigma about around, there's that sense of like, oh God, they didn't make it. You know, right. they're right. sort of stuck. Um, but I do, th- I think there are some people who just love it for all the reasons we've talked about. Yeah. I mean, there's an honor in it. I, I think it's like anything else. Like it's a, it's like any profession. There's an honor in that profession. There's, there's no, it's not stepping down. It's not stepping back. It's, 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 I think it's whatever you, whatever you make it to be. Yeah. I think that's valid. I think that's really true. Whatever you sort of find some passion and yeah, as you say, ambition in. Right. Um, and I'm just, I'm thinking as well about, you made such a good point about nostalgia um, and about how, how it colors things obviously mm-hmm. and how it, how it, um, how easy it is to slip back into nostalgia for anything in the past in terms of what you remember and what you don't remember. And I'm thinking about your book where obviously, you know, so much of your main character's memory just goes at really inopportune moments. Nice um, segue. Really? That was. Do you, do you see what I did there? That was just great. Right. Smooth. Thank you for appreciating my segue. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to talk about memory. <laughs> <laughs> I really do want to talk about why you're interested in memory in your book because because it's so striking those and those moments where your main character just blacks out and he mm. just forgets stuff and sometimes he recovers the memory and sometimes he doesn't but he you know I mean some of the some of the scenes where he's forgotten really important things like groceries in his in the back of his car and all of mm-hmm. a sudden you know he opens the car and he smells rancid chicken mm-hmm. and it's an amazingly beautiful thing that you do like what's your interest in memory why did you want to do that part of that came from the healthcare profession i mean it was uh i worked in my in my early days and in my training as a pt i worked in uh, acute care settings or skilled nursing before I kind of found found my path in sports medicine. Um, so I, I had worked with, and then later I worked in a home care setting where I'd also worked with patients with dementia, sort of sort of during the expected time to have dementia, right when you're older. But then I also in sports medicine worked with post concussion athletes, with you know, so people who were having memory problems at an age where they were not expected to have memory issues, um, you know, and to see people have sort of these uncontrollable mood swings or to have just, just lose moments of time or to not recognize someone they've known all their lives. Like, I mean, that just, that kind of stuff is one, it's terrifying. Um, because you, you just hope against hope that that doesn't come for you at some point. Um, but, but two, I think, I'm interested in people whose professions subject them to the trauma that's going to lead to that at some point, you know? Um, So I, you know, I really wrote about memory in that way. One, because I'm sort of questioning my love and, and others love for combat sports and contact sports, knowing what the cost is for the the people that do it. Um, 
even though I still watch it and I still enjoy it, you know, um, mm. and I'm kind of like, why, <laughs> why do I do that? Um, but I'm also just interested in the idea of how we can take memory and sort of mold it to fit the narrative that we want it to fit. Um, you know, even, you know, as you said, we talk about the, the restaurant industry, like there is that danger of remembering all the good stuff and all the fun stuff and not remembering the, the, the parts that were not so much fun. Mm. Um, but, and I think, I think memory can, it's unreliable, you know, even though it's used in so many ways and, you know, God, I mean, look at the, in the legal system, I mean, how much stuff is based on eyewitness testimony, but like, you know, there's, there's the Rashomon effect, right. Where everybody can, all these people can see the same thing, but have a completely different perspective on how it occurred. Um, so that, that's, that's just always been something that's been fascinating to me. And because I had experience in healthcare and I had experience, um, training as an amateur, I thought, bring those worlds together and kind of see what comes of it. What is the appeal? What is the appeal as a spectator and what is it as a, I mean, you're, again, your main character, you can kind of feel what the appeal is because he feels present while he's fighting mm -hmm. in a way that he doesn't seem to feel present in the world in general. And I know that's what it was for me training too. Like that, that was, uh, that was a place where I didn't feel like I was questioning identity and, and who I was and where I came from and things like that. You know, that was, I felt like that was a place where I could kind of lose myself um, as, as to why we enjoy it as spectators, again, that's kind of why I wrote this. Cause like, I'm, I was just asking that question, like, mm. um, because I ask it of myself and I figure if I, if I have that question of myself, I'm guessing other people have that question too. Um, and I still don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I, I know that I'm getting less, I guess, tolerant is the word, you know, I, I, I talked about, Recently, there was, um, I think it was, I don't, I don't, I can't remember if it was this year, but there was a fight um, where it was, it was a mixed martial arts fight where one of the, one of the fighters in the, in the contest was just too tough for his own good. Um, mm. Just, he would not go down. And I, that was the first time I'd ever turned off a fight. I couldn't, I couldn't watch it anymore. Um, Cause I, I it just, I couldn't watch this guy do this to himself. Like it was, there was just, he had no clear path to victory. But he just he he couldn't he just wasn't getting knocked out and he wasn't he wasn't quitting uh, and it was it was too much for me and that was the first time it had ever been too much um, so I, I I think I am starting to explore that question more I mean I know I can appreciate this I think the big thing for me is I appreciate the skill of these fighters the discipline you know all the things that we admire I think in athletes um, who can do that whatever their sport is at a high level. Mm. Um, but again, I don't, we don't think about the cost as much. And I think I'm thinking about that more as maybe even as I just, as I get older. Do you feel like we got to play out your restaurant life enough? Do you feel like we got enough restaurant for you? Yeah, it was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm really glad. I'm really glad we were able to do this. Yeah, me too. Oh, well, thank you so much. I love the way John spoke about the restaurant industry. 
And we really shared that feeling that if everyone were to wait tables at some point in their life, then the world would just be a kinder place. I also found it fascinating the way that when exploring John's path, he pulled so much from his parents' restaurant, Virtures, to create the restaurant he ran in his unlived life. Despite him saying he's wary of nostalgia, of the way that it colors memory, I felt a bit like we were less visiting an unlived life and more visiting a past life, allowing him to hang out once more in a world he clearly loved, right down to the food on the menu and the number of four tops in the back. I'm really curious to see what comes next for John, because it felt somehow like we weren't done, like spending that time in Virtures 2.0 allowed him to exist just a little bit longer in his parents' world but also like there might be more restaurant time to come for him. If so, I wonder what the next iteration will look like. If it'll still be that same virtues, or this time, something completely different. If you're a fan of My Unlived Life, I'd be so grateful if you'd help spread the word by rating, reviewing, subscribing, or following wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, by sharing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.